Hello and welcome back to the latest Think Business podcast powered by Bank of Ireland. The current economic climate and tech slowdown may prove to be an opportunity for Irish SMEs and startups, says Ruth Linden, the co-CEO of up-and-coming recruitment business Phoenix. She talks about leaving the life of Big Five Funds lawyer behind for entrepreneurship and offers her perspective on the recruitment landscape in 2023. Last five, ten years has been one of unprecedented growth. I mean, okay, we had the recession in 2008, a tough economy for a few years, but largely an uninterrupted decade of nonstop growth. And that was largely in technology. And then, of course, uh, we had COVID. Um, if, If anything, all those things we've talked about in the past, broadband, software, all that stuff really proved and it saved so many businesses' lives, I suppose, and kept people working all through that time. Great time for tech. And now we're seeing now we're seeing probably the aftershocks from, from that unprecedented level of growth for tech, particularly because of COVID, that suddenly now they're retrenching. We're seeing that with companies like Salesforce and Amazon. Um, but what I suppose what we're kind of wondering really, I mean, the other thing I would say, because I, I I've been in the tech world for many, many years, and you know, the tech world always had cyclical periods of growth where you know every four or five years there'd be a downturn of some kind or every eight years of a downturn but tech has had an uninterrupted growth phase from 2002 till now it never stopped after the dot-com crash mm. and all that kind of eased out and we're at a point now where Ireland is kind of in a situation where we've got a lot of tech companies here um, and some have some have announced redundancies um, others you talk to people say well actually no you know, Irish tech companies are still growing. And the other thing as well is that, you know, this is now the time for Irish indigenous companies to actually shine because some of that pressure is taken off them from the point of view of competing with talents. Um, so from your perspective at Phoenix, like Phoenix is uh, an up and coming Irish recruitment company. And you guys particularly specialize in scaling Irish indigenous companies, from what I can tell, and helping them on the global scale. And especially when like if you're an Irish company that's going to Silicon Valley or maybe London or uh, Singapore or somewhere. Um, you guys have kind of your fingers on the pulse that you've you've uh, been growing for the last couple of years. You raised a million euro last year. You're the co-CEO. T- tell us about, first of all, what you're seeing out there in the recruitment market from the perspective of Phoenix uh, and especially what you're seeing when it comes to indigenous companies. Absolutely. So I, I think you hit the nail on the head, John, in terms of, you know, the tech sector have been going so strong, uninterrupted. What we have witnessed sort of end of 2022 and is, is continuing somewhat into 2023 in terms of these tech global redundancy anou- announcements, I think many would agree that this is sort of a natural recalibration, if you like. I mean, you know, this was coming a time where these companies were obviously making hay while the sun shone very brightly from, you know, a, a change in consumer habits during COVID-19. This attracted, you know, high backing from VCs and from private equity companies, you know, record high valuations. So I think there was certainly maybe some would say an, an over hiring and a spike in hiring during that pandemic time to, and obviously in response, it made sense at the time in response to consumer habits. But of course, thank God, COVID-19 and, and the effects passed somewhat things resumed more to to normal previous pre-pandemic behaviours and it was inevitable in a way that some of this hiring particularly on that sort of sales 
excuse me, sales and marketing side was indeed maybe a little bit overambitious. So a couple of things I would say on that front. One, many would agree that, that these redundancies, these global redundancies were inevitable from in the tech space. Um, two, a lot of these roles aren't actually tech-specific roles from a skill set. A lot of them are actually sales and marketing roles or business development roles or talent acquisition roles. So it's not like it's when we talk about the tech companies, it is all tech, um, tech skill sets that have been hit. You're absolutely right. From an Indigenous perspective, this can, you know, there is a silver lining. One, we have a lot more talent coming into the market that, you know, had gone to the large multinationals, wanted, you know, the bean bags and the unlimited coffee and wine and beer and food mm-hmm. and all the rest. Uh, one, one company, one company I was in actually had Prosecco on tap. Couldn't you believe that? <laughs> Probably a better thing that I never work in a company like that because <laughs> that is my tipple of choice. So, you know, I well believe it and we've seen it. But the reality is, um, and we are seeing this, is that some people that have worked in the larger multinationals, sometimes they go, OK, actually, it was great. I have that T-shirt. It was a fantastic time. But mm. now I actually want something different. Maybe that wheel was too big and I felt like too small of a cog. I want that more sort of indigenous family feel. Maybe I want to be earlier, you know, in a company that's in growth mode on the ground at earlier stage so I can have that bigger impact and actually see and feel the impact I'm having. Mm. Also, you know, there are people that are going to go, okay, I've had that experience of being in the larger tech, but, you know, when things got challenging, I was one of the many that was made redundant and maybe that decision was being made from you know, Palo Alto and I was just a number on a page. So actually I want to be in an indigenous company where I'm working closely with the, with the owners and the founders. And as, as I say, you can see what your career pathway is. You can see the impact you're going to have. So definitely there is a silver lining to this in that there is now talent on the market and coming onto the market in areas which were particularly tight before. So there is more for indigenous companies to compete with. And many of these people who are coming from the large tech companies will know and appreciate that, okay, maybe the salary might not be as high, or maybe I'm not going to get as good health insurance or, or something else, or maybe there will be Prosecco on tap. But they've considered that and the positives around it, be it, you know, career progression, having an impact and seeing what that's like, possible, you know, equity options um, or share options of some description. It's an informed decision when they're coming to the Indigenous companies. And equally, what you often find is it's in times like this that, you know, maybe people, maybe their hand is forced that they were made redundant, but maybe now they go, okay, this is the time. I always talked about setting up my own company in XYZ space and sometimes a little nudge um, can do that for you. So there are definitely positives to this as well. Well, there's definitely a sense of frustration among uh, Indigenous SMEs that, you know, uh, I remember once talking to somebody who said to me, and oh, I wish you could always remember who who said it, but wherever, whenever a tech multinational expanded in Dublin, somewhere silently a, a Irish startup founder was crying in his office somewhere in Dublin because basically it meant, you know, again, they were losing people. There was that challenge for people. Uh, they, they couldn't compete with those resources. But, you know, when it comes to the indigenous companies, um, you know, was there that sense that they were they were kind of losing out? Were they were they, were they openly uh, vocal about it, or do you think that you know now they're going well? Hold on, we can come work for us now. I think they were very realistic as to what they were and what what they were not, and how they could and couldn't compare with global techs. And I think you know some people at certain times in their lives maybe you know they felt I want the big global tech, I want the big salary, all the benefits. Mm. I don't mind that maybe I'm working more to US hours. I don't mind that I'm working later in mm. the evening, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. 
But I think, you know, the, the, the SMEs are very open as to this is what we are and this is what we're not. And it's all about sticking to what are the unique selling points of your organization. And it's back to that. It's, you know, come join us. We're a smaller operation, but you will have daily experience or weekly experience and, and time with the, the most senior people in this business. You will have a very clear defined career pathway from the outset with minimal politics involved. You will actually get to feel the impact and input you're having and you'll get to see how your decisions are impacting on this business and the actual strategy of the business. Certainly for us, even John, like looking from, from Phoenix's perspective, I mean, we've grown hugely in the last four years. We continue to have very ambitious ongoing growth plans. And from the get-go, we had to distinguish ourselves and we had to be very straight up and go, we know what we are and we know what we're not, but this is what we can offer you. And interestingly enough, what we found is that people coming to join us, you know, were at that stage in their career that where we were at in our growth story matched their ambition. So hmm. they wanted somewhere where they could get really good L&D, really good um, training, good exposure to C-suite, really clear, defined career progression opportunities. And, you know, obviously any company in growth mode, there's going to be more of those um, potential international national global mobility options as well. So, you know, savvy companies need to always be very clear on what their unique selling points are to any market and adapt that as and when. But I think now is definitely the time for SMEs to really shine in that regard. Mm. And it may be that, you know, some people have got the large techs and particularly if they're coming off the back of a redundancy, there might be a little bit of a more sour taste in their mouth and they might go, okay, now is the time I can bring everything I have from a multinational into an SME, which is fantastic as well for, for SMEs to get that talent because you can see what's done on a larger scale model and then take the best of that and tweak it and make it relevant for your own SME. I remember being in San Francisco once and I was talking to this, uh, let's say, um, an accelerator for want of better words, um, incubator accelerator, one of those places where they turn startups into sales engines and they turn out to get them into profitable business or revenue generating businesses at least. And, you know, I was saying, well, what is it about Silicon Valley that makes it uh, so potent for people to kind of be so fearless? And he was, his his attitude was, oh well, you know, well if they know the startup doesn't work out, they can always go and work down Google or Amazon down the road. And I'd say to a certain extent that was quite true in Ireland. But when I look back at my own career, I would say for the first part 20, 20, 20 years of my career, it was in SMEs, and you certainly, as you say, you 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 wore many hats, and you got responsibility quite early I mean you know in your early 20s you were responsible for entire products and you learn really quickly and, and I think that's a fantastic thing and I'd say to any graduate that you know if you really want to kind of really flourish early in life and get responsibilities early start join a startup or an SME you know they in large global companies you know yes it might be a big vast company but the structures and hierarchies can make you quite siloed and could put you know give, give a very narrow view of the world or your function whereas uh you're really thrown into deep end particularly in irish smes because i think irish smes are usually uh just simply by dint of size uh everything you do starts with one position you're under resourced in the first place and you work from there and i think that's a wonderful place to start for anyone in, in their careers so I, I think i think we could see a good time do you do you do you, do you foresee a strong time ahead for irish indigenous companies 
I do. I absolutely do. And those kind of skill sets are are key. They're always key. But I think even now, more than ever, uh, a company's ability to adapt and innovate is absolutely critical to get through the somewhat turbulent times that we have ahead. And I think in order for a company to do that, it's it's critical that its employees are of the same mindset. And Mm. they're the kind of skills that employers love to see coming. It is a proven ability to adapt. It's a proven ability to work under pressure. So I think... SMEs definitely in certain sectors there's more of a skill set a a volume of talent available there I think if it is someone coming from a tech the appeals of an SME having had that tech t-shirt possibly now the appeals of an SME are very very real so I think it's absolutely imperative that an SME makes sure that it's very clear on what it can offer potential talent and all the way through the hiring cycle from the initial advertisement piece, from the kind of agency you engage if you're look, if you're engaging a third-party agency to make sure they fully understand you and your, your USPs and how that's delivered to, to a candidate and indeed even throughout the interview process. I think that is all really, really key because despite the, the somewhat challenging headwinds that we have that are coming and that are here... Ultimately, John, you know, we predicted this is going to remain uh, an employee driven market. So it is really about being clear in USPs and making sure that you have a strong engagement process and recruitment process. But equally, when it comes even through the interview stage, that there are people in your office that can go in during those interviews and in your organization that can go in and not so much sell, but present those USPs and reinforce them again. Even things down to, we hear this sometimes, you know, someone might say, I did not meet one female during the whole interview process. So even things like that from a DNI perspective, um, mm. you know, you're on and we do uh, envisage this will remain an employee-driven market. So SMEs need to be very live to this. But if it's done right and they're clear on their message and what they can offer, I mm. do think it definitely is an exciting time for SMEs coming into 2023. Well, the other thing as well, I mean, I remember once been at a conference and I made a point that... Uh, I, 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 a famous Irish tech company called Iona, when it when it, in its heyday, it resulted in at least forty startups emerging from it. And this uh, venture capitalist, I think it was Elaine Cochran from Atlantic, turned around and said, "No, actually, John, it was about eighty five startups emerged from that." And that shows you as well. So if you, if you think about it, if this is a golden time for indigenous companies, and you know people join these companies, gain experience, and leave, that results in even more startups. And I know it's a if you put that in tandem with a time where also there's now uh, I'd say close to a billion euro in seed funds being created in the last year or so that you know I'm, I'm, or at least leveraged that could be leveraged up to a billion euros um, in, in Ireland so that, that, that makes it a really promising time for a lot of young original companies to potentially take the field so in terms of what, where Phoenix is coming at it from like did you make a calculated uh, bet on 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 indig- supporting indigenous companies in their recruited aims, or is it just is it is it more than just indigenous tech? Is it also financial services and different kinds of Irish companies that are, are taking to the to the global stage? Absolutely, no, not just limited to tech. FS John remains, and obviously <clears> my background, I actually was an investment fund lawyer in a previous life. But <laughs> so it's great because financial services is one of our specialist sectors, and that is a really good example. Financial services and fintech of um, the number of indigenous companies that are here in addition to your larger global corporates. And we have lots of examples of companies that started off maybe as small indigenous companies that have now you know, merged or have become part of a wider group. But mm. financial services, we are known as a very strong 
uh, market from a financial services skills set perspective, both in asset management and funds, but even wider throughout the fintech space. Um, and I think there's a confidence amongst people in this space to, to do that, to start something on their own. So I think it's not just tech. I think similarly, um, fin financial services is a very good example and fintech of a space where there are opportunities. Now, that said, you know, there's opportunities there, but I think the really savvy companies are going to make sure that they are doing all they can to attract this talent, but also to retain them. So there's mm. a couple of trends that I definitely feel SMEs are going to have to continue to offer, notwithstanding they may be smaller than, than the tech companies. For example, the hybrid piece, I think that goes without saying that at this point in time, hybrid flexible working, that is not a nice to have. That's absolutely a given. Mm. What that looks like, we're sort of seeing two to three days in the office slash home seems to be the split that we're seeing. This is varying very much sector to sector. For example, mm. a tech company, depending on the on the role, if it's a developer, for example, it may be that it's predominantly at home, maybe only one, maybe two days in, in the office of even a week, uh, mm. given the nature of the role. Whereas if you look at someone, let's say, in a in a global law firm that's on the ground here in Dublin, they may either themselves be at a stage where they need to be around much senior lawyers for their own learning and development, or indeed they may be in a position themselves where they have juniors coming up the ranks underneath them. So from that perspective, you know, the amount of time spent at home versus the office, it is varying uh, sector to sector. But I think that's something that, that certainly SMEs would have to continue to offer. Um, and indeed, we're, you know, there's a cultural piece to this as mm. well. SMEs, a lot of the, the attraction of an SME is that, yes, it's on a smaller scale. It's more maybe people orientated. You get to know your colleagues better. That's kind of hard if everybody's sitting at home. Yeah. So, you know, I think it's important to try. It's a real balancing act for employers. I mean, I include ourselves in that. And we're in an environment where, you know, a lot of what's done is learning and development. Some of it is on the desk training. We mm. want to continue to build a strong culture. So what we're seeing some companies doing is maybe going, OK, it's three days in the office a week and maybe specifying Two of those days, we're going to specify, let's say, Monday and Tuesday. And then the third day, together with your manager, you can sort of come to an agreement on that. But at least in that instance, you know, particularly if it's a target-driven environment, the week is off to a strong start. You have at least two days where you're going to have colleagues together, getting to know each other, good mm. from a culture perspective, good from a learning and development perspective. So it continues to change. I think you have to listen to your employees you know, get a temperature check of the room, but mm. then you have to make it work for your business as well. So that continues to be a balancing act, but arguably um, possibly easier for an SME to do without having to go to the mothership in wherever to, to verify this or what we do here is going to go against what we're doing in France, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. So I think that, that's, you know, that's a plus that SMEs can certainly play too, but it is a balancing act, you know, the business needs versus employee desires. Is hybrid um, de rigueur in most places now, or is it a case that some companies have brought everyone back in? Because like, I, I have, I've spoken to various people that, uh, you know, in some cases, some teams have been told that they've been in full time, where some of their other colleagues aren't. There's a very mix. It's, it seems like there's very different interpretations of what hybrid is as well. And I think, you know, what people personally, I think what people should be getting out of being in the office is to collaborate and talk and see people and get ideas and share ideas. But if you're a productive person and you need to produce content, for example, in my case, or, you know, you might be somebody who might do might work on a lot of financial reports or you're a law firm and you might be someone who's writing up contracts, you know, you crave that ability to just 
settle down and not be distracted and get the work done as well and so I don't think it should be a case of having you know the worst of both worlds it should be the best of both worlds personally but I don't get a feeling out there that everyone seems to have kind of there doesn't seem to be a, a unified interpretation of what hybrid is. No, completely agree. As I say, employers are still feeling their way through this and it is definitely posing challenges for some employers. Um, There's no doubt about that. But I think maybe that's the key, John, that it shouldn't be a unified approach. It should Mm. be between sectors. It's going to differ from sector to sector. What I do think is important that within any one individual business, stop for a second, you know, as an employer, stop and go, okay, what is it that we're actually trying to achieve rather than we're doing three and two because that's what everybody else is doing. I think it's important for businesses to look at their own business. Ultimately, what's the end goal here? And maybe something like that where it's, you know, one day is specified so that you can get that culture and collaboration one Mm. or two days and thereafter the flexibility is there obviously always to be overrided by like that you know you're in a law firm and and suddenly a big a a big deal is happening and you need to be at home so you can concentrate on documents but there should be that communication um between the employer and the employee but i think there's no one size fits all the best thing to do here is to remain adaptable like we talked about adaptability that's going to be key for this year that is part and parcel of the hybrid piece but i think as an organization look at your own individual needs what are you trying to achieve? What's the output? And put a, a working policy in place around that. But subject always to, you know, this will be, continues to be reviewed. Mm-hmm. There's ongoing discussion on this. Feedback is welcome. Um, because it does, there's no doubt, the culture piece and sort of the learning and development, they're the two main areas where it can be tricky for employers. There's no doubt. And uh, I heard you correctly. Um, you were a lawyer uh, in, in in a previous life, <laughs> working in a, in a, in a finan- was a financial services lawyer in a, in, a, in a corporate environment. How the hell do you make a leap to being an entrepreneur? Uh, how do you do that? <laughs> Half of Dublin probably knows the story. My background to this because it's uh, probably when I meet candidates or clients, it's usually the question I'm asked most. Yeah, it's kind of a funny one. So I. So I spent about eight or nine years in Dublin. I was a funds lawyer. I was with, you know, a and Goodbody and Maples and Calder. Now, mm. Maples, two very preeminent law firms, um, very, very niche uh, in the fund space. It was a couple of different things. So I qualified, I'm going to show my age now, but around that kind of 2009, 2010 recession times. Mm. So my then boyfriend, now husband, I'm going to blame him, um, <laughs> he was a civil engineer. It was not a great time to be a civil engineer. Um, with the recession and long story short lots of different things happened but he ended up retraining as an air traffic controller and as you can imagine the training takes place down in Shannon and I so we did that for a couple of years we were doing the different sides of the country all got a bit old got a bit tedious I was doing you know on paper everything was going along swimmingly Mm. and I was sort of you know time now to start thinking about partnership is that what I wanted etc and you know I think James moving down and sort of having that time probably gave me uh, the impetus and kind of the, the the courage to do it. But I think, look, I was in a firm, fantastic people. Some, you know, they're still my friends today, a number of them. Um, but I was looking ahead and I was looking at partner and going, is that really what I want? How am I going to make this work when he's at the side of the country? But I always felt that whilst I loved, I lo- you know, I loved the environment I was in, I love the client relationship piece. I love the business development piece. I, you yeah. know, I would talk to a wall. You know, there's no issue there whatsoever. So it was the bravest thing I ever did. But I had always thought about recruitment. And I felt there's an area that I feel there's a lot of transferable skills. Hmm. So I 
ripped off that plaster in one file swoop and I moved down to Limerick where I'm now based um, and got into recruitment all in one go. So yeah, it was pretty life transforming to be honest, but it's it's funny how things come back around. I mean, now like I'm, I, I do some of the, the, the work for us from a legal perspective. So even though I try to get away from it, it's following me around. It's useful to have. <laughs> yeah, my mother was right. She always said in law degree never going to be a bad thing so look mm. it's funny I'm a firm believer John sometimes things happen at a time for a reason like FS Fresh and Services they're a big part of, of the areas that we focus on so having mm. that network from a client and candidate perspective and even just having the know-how to pass on to say other consultants working on the legal or the financial services desks is great so it certainly didn't do me any harm so yeah no I, I live in Limerick now and I you know spend my time traveling between between our offices so. Yeah, and, and what, when I think about it, like uh, like Phoenix, uh, you do recruitment and you, you do recruitment with financial companies as well as tech companies. Um, but but last year you guys raised a million euros. So in all intents and purposes, you were a startup just like many of the tech companies you would probably deal with as well, uh, which is kind of an interesting interesting. But what what was it that brought you to Phoenix and 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 and, and what do you what did you see in it to make it make it that did you see its future written for you? So I suppose my um, so my my business partner and co CEO Ed Rossiter, we had actually worked together for a number of years, both in the larger organisations and in the more boutique organisations. And we always had kind of you know thought about this and would you know doing it by yourself? My God, isn't completely insane. So I was just about to go on maternity leave with my with my first baby. Um, so Ed kicked things off, and then when I finished that maternity leave, came back. I think. For me, and maybe having because I went from professional services into it, you know, some people, you you know, I went into recruitment and it's like, wow, that's completely like that's a totally um, strange move to make. But and I, I but I felt actually it's not because, like I said, there's a lot of transferable skills there, particularly mm. from business development and client piece. Equally, I felt very strongly, and both Ed and myself still do, that recruitment can and, you know, get a bad rap because you have people in it, in my opinion, for all the wrong reasons, taking the Mm. wrong approach. So we always felt very passionately that there is no reason why this shouldn't be akin to any other professional service. Any business, show me a business that can operate and be successful without its people. Human capital, like it can't. Human capital is the most important asset of any business. And all businesses will will tell you that. Employers will go, oh, yes, you know, my people. So you need to invest to make sure you attract the right people and keep them. So we were very passionate about our approach to recruitment, that it is like a professional service like any other when done correctly. And by done correctly, we meant it's all about the relationship. It is not transaction led. If we don't, you know, place this particular role for whatever reason, that's fine as long as there's a bigger there's a bigger relationship at play here. We want to gain the trust of our clients and our candidates. They know that what we're saying is 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 honest and accurate. Secondly, it was very much the expert piece that, you know, if you want to get the buy-in from other clients and candidates, that we are truly the experts that can come, that can tell you what the market is like, give you the relevant market intel. And it helps as well. Look, I want, you know, the the lawyer background on my side, it definitely does help. Mm. And we have a number of our our staff here will be qualified, of our team here will be qualified, accountants, tax accountants, solicitors. And it does give you that little bit of, you know, a buy-in with with clients and candidates. And equally, there's a know-how then that can be imparted onto the wider group. Um, And it was very much, this is relationship focused. So for many of our clients, we may have sent them, you know, white papers, detailed market intelligence maybe before we even formally engage them 
uh, you know, gone and, ha- and, and have presented and have invested that time. Um, and that's that's fine because that is genuinely our approach throughout. I mean, we would have C-suite level calling us, kind of going, okay, what are you seeing on the ground? What's happening? We need some market intel uh, information. And to me, that means we're doing our job right. So, you know, recruitment, we wanted to take it up a level um, and we wanted to be very clear about our values. And that's something that we impart to our um, to our team members from day one that they come into the business. But, you know, it, it's been it's been a phenomenal four years, John. Like, <laughs> no day is the same. I was laughing earlier when you were talking about hats. My God, I don't know how many hats I actually have. Um, <laughs> and I'm just back from back from maternity leave. And, you know, it's, it's baptism of fire and straight back into it but it's great like it's it's fabulous and I suppose that's one of the things that I why I got into recruitment is that variation in your day every day is different um and certainly as an SME growing through COVID through you know everything else that's going on in the world now a war in Ukraine you name it the universe is throwing it at us but Mm -hmm. thank god you know things continue to, to to go well but us Phoenix as well as any other business we have to be sure that we adapt in 2023 because there is just no way that we are going to achieve our hiring plans and our own growth plans if we don't. So, mm. you know, L&D is a big part of this as well. We need to make sure that we look at who we have, make sure that we're outlining a, a clear pathway for people where they can get to across all of our offices globally and equally make sure that we are giving them every tool that we can so that they will succeed to move them up along, you know, along the various pathways that we've outlined. That really is key for us. And um, we simply won't attain our growth goals if we don't get the white people on board. So um, ironically, that, that that's an issue. Recru- recruiting for recruiters is also a thing. Um, and again, you know, I'm, I'm passionate about, I think, as a business, when you have the right, you know, L&D and the right people around to impart mm. knowledge, Technically, you can teach a lot to anyone. You know, people don't wake up knowing how to be whatever profession they do in life. It's all about the attitude. And it comes back to people say, oh, I'd love a startup. Now, we're a little past the strict startup mode. But, you know, we're still in growth mode. Have Mm. we got everything perfect yet? Absolutely not. Is there a separate department for absolutely everything? Still no, we're getting there. Um, But, you know, people say, I'd love a startup. You really, at interview stage, have to get under the hood of that and sort of test How would you feel wearing multiple hats? How do you handle pressure? When have you just had this ridiculous deadline thrown at you that you just have to somehow <laughs> make it work and make yeah. it happen? So it's that, it's a positive, I always say to the guys, a little bit of terrier. It's a little bit of a terrier, a dog with a bone. You give me something yeah. to do and I will get it done to the best of my ability. That you can't teach, that's innate. That is true. And, and I was also suggest that venture that, you know, because you're in growth mode, you'd have a lot of empathy with a lot of the situations that your clients would have in terms of how you're growing, how they're growing, the growing pains of, of a business. Absolutely. But John, I think, again, it's back to my point about what we could offer as a, a startup, you know, sort of a few years ago now, sort of, you know, in growth mode company. It was exactly what we could offer that maybe larger organisations couldn't in terms of the career development piece, mm. getting more kind of one on one time with C-suite what you say actually impacting how we build out a desk, you know, the opportunities there to even maybe relocate to some of our global offices. These were things that we had that maybe larger firms just, you know, obviously by by virtue of being more established couldn't offer. But to back that up, we have and always have and continue to invest in the likes of our L&D platforms, our marketing platforms, even our tech stack 
that's something that we would have invested in quite heavily where maybe a traditional startup wouldn't have had so much and um, so we really you know that's what i suppose our usb i would say is we can we can offer that the those pros and those pluses of a startup but we can give you the sort of back office support and the lnd and uh, the marketing resources and the tech resources of maybe a more established organization mm. so it's all about being very clear on who you are, what you stand for, and what you can offer to attract good people in. But and, and not to be afraid to get it wrong. You know, not everyone's going to work out. That's fine. We might be for everyone. Everyone might be for us. That's okay too. And um, I suppose it's not to be to be afraid by that. That there is always going to be a certain element of attrition in any business, and it's really about the right fit. It has to work on both sides, particularly in a, in a sales-driven environment. And a target-driven environment, I feel. That's brilliant. Well, Ruth Linden, thank you so much. Co-CEO Phoenix, thank you so much for your time. That was great and uh, exciting as well. So thank you so much and wish you the best. That's great, John. Thank you so much. In our next podcast, Pep Talk co-founder James Brogan talks about how the Irish business is taking on America.